everybody. It's time to talk about For All Mankind on Apple TV+. Plus. I'm Jason Snell, and joining me every week for Season 2 of For All Mankind to discuss all the goings-on in space and on planet Earth, it is my longtime compatriot, co-worker, and fellow TV viewer. I'll, I'll work on that intro. Uh, Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Здравствуйте, Jason. This is... Oh, no. It's a cult. Or is this like a link up in space for, for you know... We'll do a handshake. Between the... Yeah. It's like Apollo Soyuz. Yes, that's right. We are... I will represent the Russian side. You can represent the American well, side. I, and we can we can ease tensions through this Yanish podcast. Nayu. I don't know very much uh, <laughs> Russian, yeah. so... Yanapanamayu, kogda tikovarish Yanapanamayu. The... For All Mankind Season 2, we didn't do a, a show about Season 1, but we're going to do a show about Season 2. Loved season one. Did an incomparable episode about it. Thought it was great. But uh, we're in the 80s now. So we're here to talk about season two, episode one, Every Little Thing. The premiere, February 19th on Apple TV+. Plus. We got a little peek behind the curtain. We got to see this one in advance. Mm -hmm. So we'll drop this episode. But then we will be back on Fridays for the next 10 weeks to talk about or 9 weeks I guess to talk about uh, for all mankind but let's let's dive in to every little thing episode 1 which begins uh in the way that all great things from the 80s do with a montage ah, there's a montage. lot you got to have a montage, montage in the 80s so i'm going to do a little plug up front here uh, Stephen Hackett and I talked to Ron Moore for liftoff this week and you can go over to relay.fm slash liftoff and you can find that episode. We interviewed Ron Moore. And uh, one of the things that I asked him was about this opening montage. And he said it was actually a note from an Apple executive who said <laughs> you could do like a, a little get up to speed montage. And I think Ron Moore's response was, well, you don't have to tell me twice. That's a great idea. <laughs> and so they built this montage, which is great because, you know, this is a show that's set in an alternate timeline. And so they want to remind you, like, first off, they have a time jump, right? We last time, other than the end post credit scene, right. you know, we, we got a time jump of nine years, I want to say. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, between season one and season two, we've gone from the 70s to the 80s, from the early 70s to the early 80s. And... Uh, so how do you communicate the time jump and also remind people of what happened last season and remind uh, people about how this is a parallel timeline, but it's also very similar to ours, but different? And I think they did it in a in a really fun way, which is this montage of all the different things that are going on uh, in the world of For All Mankind versus the real history of the 70s and 80s here in, you know, in the U.S., in our yeah. world. It, it was interesting for me as someone who was alive for some of that time, but not really cognizant of what was going on. And so some of those things, you know, obviously I, I knew major things that they changed, right? Like um, they have the Pope, you know, Pope John Paul II being assassinated. And I knew right. there had been the assassination attempt, right? Yes. And Lenin, John Lenin survives his John assassination Lennon, attempt. Sir, exactly right. As does and, um, Anwar Sadat. Anwar Sadat. And, well, yeah. so, so I, I took some notes here. So I did live through this because I'm 10 years older than you. So I, I lived through the the 70s and and I was only cognizant for the sort of late 70s and early 80s so I I've got this part of it um it, it is fascinating so Sadat doesn't get assassinated because there's an earlier frame that shows that the uh, peace deal with Israel right. doesn't happen apart, yeah. presumably this is all the fallout from not it's not 
just the space race, right? The implication here is that the Cold War is more severe. So one of the things we see is that the Russians do not invade Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, a, I think, Osama bin Laden is in there briefly. Yeah, right. So uh, the Russians don't invade Afghanistan because they're spending their money on space race and other, you know, the, the Cold War has moved into space, essentially, but it has right. escalated. Right. Um, and And so we've got... Uh, this implication throughout this show, there's a mention later of what happened in Berlin, right? Like there's things going on that are more intense right. uh, or differently I, intense than in our world. There's some other other changes. The hostages. So Reagan yep, gets they, elected in 76, right? Yep, instead of 80. The, the hostages return after 90 days in Iran instead of 444 days. Yep. Um, there is a, apparently a crackdown. It's very quick, but the suggestion is there's a crackdown on the solidarity movement in Poland. So the USSR is tightening its grip on the Eastern Bloc and not allowing yep. sort of a the first clues. It'll be interesting to see as the season goes, does Glasnost happen? Because we, right. we get Brezhnev dead and, and, yeah. and, and, and Dropoff is taken over. Yeah, We know he doesn't really last long in our timeline just for for health reasons and Dropoff and Chernyanko are transitionary Transitional figures, and then there is Gorbachev. So, is that going to happen, or is something going to happen to Gorbachev? I, it, it's an interesting. I thought one of the most thing. interesting things they actually pointed out, which has this direct link into it, is they mentioned the they avert the disaster at Three Mile Island due right. to technology from originally designed for the Jamestown base on the moon. Right. So, like, there are things. Maybe Chernobyl will also be averted. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. There's, it's interesting to see the stuff that's both very closely linked to the changes that have happened in the environment and stuff that feels more like ripple effects. Yeah. In fact, if I had to predict, I would predict, and I hadn't thought of this until you mentioned the Three Mile Island thing, but I wonder if that's a setup for Chernobyl not happening. Mm-hmm. and Because there, there is a strong argument to be made, and if you've watched Chernobyl on HBO, you have, good for you, because it's a really great show. But um, it... There's a suggestion, strong suggestion, that Chernobyl basically killed the Soviet Union, that the it was such a disaster that it was the final kind of like nail in the coffin of the Soviet Union. And Gorbachev came in there and basically said, we got to reform this. And it all kind of fell apart. And mm-hmm. I wonder if Three Mile Island is a hint that they're going to have the Chernobyl disaster averted. And that's going to be their way of saying, aha, right. the Soviet Union is going to continue and not break up. And Gorbachev might reform it. But he's not going to, you know, proceed, you know, preside over its demise. And that allows right, the right. Uh, because otherwise, by the end of the 80s, you know, you've got the yeah, Soviet yeah. Union falling yeah. apart and, and all the Eastern Bloc falling apart. So you combine it with the, the crackdown in Poland. And I think that maybe that's the suggestion is right. that the Soviets I, are going to continue into the 90s in this timeline. I, I also think it's interesting in that in the first season, I felt like the changes in the timeline were largely uh, the results we saw it within the context of the space program we we started to go a little bit outside of that obviously as we established the the presence on the moon and like that started to deal with the political ramifications but i feel like it was much more focused inward whereas already in in this these two seasons i feel like since the effects have become magnified the farther out you get from the in if we consider the russian moon landing the like divergence point which is clearly not quite right but somewhere around there like the the effects have been magnified the further we get and so more and more things will be different like the technology that permeates this this first couple of like first episode or so like it's it's already starting to look more advanced right than stuff that we had at a commensurate time like you're starting to see all of those larger effects i wish i had actually asked Ron Moore this because I want to know the answer, which is what is the divergence point? I I know I said in our incomparable episode last season that I was hoping that 
um, we would get an episode that we didn't get, which is the Soviet episode where suddenly mm-hmm, we are mm-hmm. seeing the early days of the space race from the other side. And it's like, Oh, that like at that moment, whether the Soviets are on the moon, I was thinking they were going to flip it around and take us to that point, And they didn't do that episode, you but that counterpart episode. That what, explains yeah, I, I do. And I'm going to mention counterpart later. Yeah. I mean, what happened in Berlin when they say that I'm yes. like, Oh no, counterpart. <laughs> no. Again, a show that if you haven't seen it, you should see counterpart. It's great. Two seasons. Uh, go watch it. It's about parallel universes. Um, but the, the thing about, you know, all of that is I'm going to just guess, and I, this is what I wish I'd asked Ron more. I'm going to guess for now that the point of departure for this universe is that uh, Sergei Korolev, who is basically the mastermind of the Russian, of the Soviet space program, didn't die. Because he died in like 1962, 63. He died and things got i mean there may be more than that but you could probably just point at that and say like that guy was such a mastermind that he would have continued to push the soviet space program forward and it would have picked up momentum because that's really the point of divergence right if something happened to make the soviets get to the moon yeah when they didn't in our timeline and what and and that's a that's a russian thing which is why i always thought they were going to do the turn the tables and tell the russian story and maybe we'll get there maybe this season maybe Maybe. sometime or maybe they're not interested but i wish i'd asked ron more that question oh i've got some more 80s trivia for you though there's no um chrysler bailout Oh, yeah, I heard that in, yeah. in this. And that's another suggestion of like the U.S. government, which put money in to save Chrysler. And in the in this world, they're like, I guess, spending too much money on space or something yeah. to bail out Chrysler. So they <laughs> let it fail. cars when you can go to space, Jason. The 1980 Winter Olympics U.S. hockey team miracle yes, on ice they, they does lose. not happen. They lose horribly to the Soviet Union. Um, we'll see if that means anything. It probably doesn't. And uh, Camilla marries that's Charles, right. not right. Diana. I don't know where the Fun. line is for that, but yeah, it's a cute little tidbit. It's just in the, it's in, you know, it's in the timeline there. And you feel know, like it's a tip of, tip of the hat to the crown or something. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. And then my only other note is that the Ronald Reagan impersonator is okay, but not great. Like, I think I've heard many better Reagans than that. And that goes for some of their other voices. Uh, the Johnny Carson voice is also not okay, but not great. Um, and there's a lot of, for me, who's someone who is younger and like knows who those people are, but doesn't have as much of a clear memory. I thought they were, they were fun. Like I didn't, I I spent my time wondering how they did some of the things and whether they were repatched together from old speeches or whatever. Like, I think they deep faked. I think there's lots and lots and lots of deep fakes. The Johnny Carson one is it, like I know it's not the voice isn't perfect, but it's pretty good enough that I was no, staring there going good. like, wow, it's good. It's that. just as, as somebody who lived through this, it's good. But like, I, I mean, like Reagan, like Rich Little's yeah. Reagan was so much better. <laughs> like, right, right. and I guess maybe there, there isn't. Okay, let's be honest. Not as much call for a good Reagan impression today <laughs> as up? in the eighties. So that's fair enough. And, and it's not a bad Reagan impression, but it's like I listened to it, and the longer I listened to it, the worse I thought it was. But in watching it back a second time, it's not. It's not terrible. It's just it's a little too high and all that. But it gets it gets the point across. It's it's Reagan esque. I thought the. You know, I, the impressions in season one weren't that great either. So, you know, it, it's not great, but it, it didn't completely take me out of it. And I really enjoyed the time, the whole uh, montage. I thought it was uh, a huge amount of fun. And watch it several times and you'll catch more stuff. It's great. Right. Um, the show actually, proper, starts on the moon. And this is one of those things that uh, I actually mentioned this to Ron Moore when we talked to him Um I appreciate it about this is, you know this, Dan, you watch a lot of TV. For a long time now, it's become a cliche 
you open your episode with a teaser <laughs> that shows a bunch of people getting into trouble and then it winds the clock back a day right. or a week or 48 hours or whatever and says, now we're going to tell you how they got in that situation. So this episode does that. It does a 24 hours earlier after this first scene. And the first scene is on the precipice of a shocking, you know, uh, dramatic moment that will be the core of the end of this episode, right? Yeah. But they don't show you they, that they part. Don't show you the, yeah, they just show you the good stuff. And I, I, I asked Ron Moore, and he, was, he said that was a conscious decision that they wanted people to have good vibes, right? Like, I, well, welcome I mean, back. Yeah, and I loved I mean, it. They sing Bob Marley, Three Bob Little Mar- Birds. Like, Bob Marley's going to put you in the, a good frame of mind there, I think. Yeah. Um, I thought it was an interesting move too. So I wanted to comment on something since it opens to in like that view of the uh, Jamestown base, right? Uh, which has been built out considerably, right? Since we saw it, sure. Uh, in the in the first yeah, it's season, huge. it's much bigger. There's a lot more people there. A lot of astronauts, um, yeah. Lots. And of one thing there. that struck me is, and I'm not a huge fan of these movies, but the the vibe that I got from it felt very like alien or aliens like the, right, the we're just doing our job real structure we're, we're punching our punching the clock doing our job but just the, even the look of yeah. the sets to me had that sure it conveyed that element of that i had wondered industrial if that grungy was some, yeah exactly i like it it looked it looks great it has a very distinct feel to it that is simultaneously sci-fi but not something that feels ripped from some like other science fiction necessarily that i've seen um it feels very grounded in the world that we're in which i appreciated yeah, uh, I I agree. I I enjoyed it, and and seeing all those spacesuits out on the moon was really funny. And the idea here is that every couple of weeks, because they're at the south pole of the moon, there's a sunrise. Because the the way it works, you know, you basically are every every couple of weeks they're in sun, and then they're in darkness. And so the, it, it's a thing they do, which is to go out there and watch the sun come up over Shackleton Crater, and um. And and people like wait for it, and it's very exciting. And they they singing, you know, every little thing, which is the name of the episode, is going to be all right, right from from Bob Marley, and uh, it's just good vibes. And then and then that's it. And then the credits roll, and we get twenty four hours earlier. And uh, and again, I I just I really like it. I really like not everything needs to be. Oh, super intense disaster! You know, wait, it's a bummer. It's like that. We didn't get that with with this. It's like. We know there's going to be drama in season two right. of For All Mankind. Exactly. Otherwise, why is there a show? But we don't need it. Like right now, it's just feeling good on the moon. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the moon. It's a great place to be. Uh, we never spent enough time there. Um, yeah, yeah I, I enjoyed that. I enjoyed our, our reintroduction to some of the characters from season one. Um, so we have uh, uh, Ellen, who is in charge. She is the commander of the base after uh, last season. I think the last place we see her at the end of last season is her um it's her ill-fated mission with uh Deke, right? Uh yes, because yes, she that's comes it. out, she comes out to him before he right. dies. Before he dies. Yeah. Uh and you know, he basically gets upset about it but essentially, you know, <laughs> she she has to kind of keep it to herself. And I think that's one of the interesting things about um about the vibes from season 2 is we see a lot of as we last season a lot of the struggles were dealt with you know the the idea of women being integrated into the astronaut corps and people of color being integrated as well because those were the tensions that we had going in and in the the beginning of this season that seems to have toned down 
but clearly you know it seems as though ellen is still uh you know probably forced to conceal her oh, sexuality right so yeah, like she's still, well, some... she's still living with nate cordry right so she's right. still living so, like, with her her beard they're 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 interchange beards. i love that yeah right because they do the little they do their little facetime call their little like 80s video call back to him him back um but i like the example of how you know i won't say it erases certain prejudices but obviously certain things have come further from a social perspective while other things are still clearly taboo right like we don't have necessarily we haven't verged upon the acceptance of homosexuality yet but there is much more acceptance, uh, it seems like, of you know uh, women in the in this particularly For sure. you know, what would previously be a male dominated field and people of color as well. Yep, yeah, it's definitely not like there. This is ahead of ahead of us, but not that or at the same time, but not that far ahead. And and yeah. there's still adversity and there's still issues there. Um, so there are a lot of astronauts in the, that opening scene. By the way, that is like, do I need to know these people? And the show is like, well, you know. We'll let you know if we if you need to know who they are, uh, but you don't need to know who they are because this show will highlight who the who the people are that you need to care about. And, hey, and there are yeah. sorry, I just want to add. There's also a large international presence we see as the episode goes on, which I think is interesting. Right, right. We get the we get the what Irish astronaut in in orbit and stuff. And like there's that a, too. a Dutch Dutch guy who is kind of a uh, significant significant yes. addition. Yes, he he becomes so, Wubbo. You mean Wubbo? Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to attempt it. <laughs> Wubbo. Uh, Wubbo Ockles is his name. It's a great name. So um, 24 hours earlier, our friend Margot, who is the flight director, like she's like in charge of the flight directors. She's st- the director. Still, still lives in her office. She's still sleeping in her office. <laughs> and then she just sort of shouts out to her assistant when she's ready to start her day. And that leads to a scene that, again... I think was before they asked before they added the um uh the montage this was the way of of uh catching up uh the audience right Mhm Yeah so so it, this is the the overwhelming briefing of we've got the, this thing going on in Jamestown and this shuttle is here and this shuttle you've never even heard of is doing this and the military are launching this thing and we've got this shuttle that just is returning and we're launching another one just to give you that whole sense of like uh, the space program has dramatically expanded in right. the last seven years, and the implication, based on I think another thing that's mentioned in the um, in the montage at the beginning, is that there's no treaty between or the 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 U.S. and the USSR. I think they mention have like departed from their treaty, which essentially seems to. I mean, like we see there how much of a military influence there is in what's yeah. happening, and that comes into play later on in the episode as well. And it seems as though, like, the whole no militarization of space thing is kind of out the window. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, well, yeah, in the next scene, she is talking to this new character who seems to be a major character who is the, the military representative. And she offers him uh, tickets to the—gives him <laughs> tickets to the Army-Navy game and all of that. But before we get there, um, yeah, the overwhelming brief- briefing, I really like that. It's just like there's so much going on that Marco's keeping in her head. We also get a, a reference to Alita, mm-hmm. uh, the young girl— uh, who we met last season, who is very clearly important <laughs> to the show in the long game. Like she's in the first scene where she looks up at the moon as they're crossing the river into the U S mm-hmm. where um, like I feel, and this is just a theory that that was scene one, episode one of for all mankind. That's the show saying 
first woman on the moon or no first woman on Mars. Right. Like it's like right. she is super important in the future, but she's just a little little girl at that point. So like long game there with that character. Um, and uh, Margo was given an opportunity to mentor her and she was she, her her family. Her father got deported and we don't know where she is or what their relationship is. But basically she seems Margo seems a little upset that Alita sent a message and that's all we really hear about that. Also, she got a lot of D-mails, which are, I guess, emails. I guess they have email in the 80s, but it's called D-mail instead in this universe. So yeah. that was, just take, I guess take a I, note. My, my guess was maybe because it's the Defense Department still. It's maybe. still DARPA maybe. Or is it digital mail? Or I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it be digital mail. Yeah, I like I it. I do not know. Um... So we we do go see the military guy, and there's what happened in Berlin. Um, and uh, what I like about this, this is a nice thing that, that, that they carry through here, is this is real. And one of the things For All Mankind does is not only is it riffing on existing things, so there are space shuttles, but they can go to the moon. And people be, you know, people who know the truth be like, well, space shuttles can't do that. And it's like, well... They can if they are have have to send people to a moon base. Like they're like in this world, the space shuttle does more stuff because they wanted to do more stuff, and I'm willing right. to accept that because they would they would make it work if they if they had to. Plus, the space shuttle is really recognizable, and so it's kind of fun to have that. Another thing they do though is they rifle through all of the plans of things that didn't come to fruition. And there were a lot of promises made for the space shuttle, including its involvement with military launches. And they were going to build a military space shuttle launch facility at Vandenberg Air Force Base on the California coast for secret military missions, separate from launching things from Kennedy Space Center. And in this world, that happened. And there, and, and she's trying to get the general or whatever he is to get her access, military guy, let's just say that, I don't know anything about military things, uh, to get access to Vandenberg. So she's like, well, we'll close our eyes. Just please let me launch a shuttle from there. I need extra bandwidth for my shuttles. And he's like, I can't do it. We got classified payloads. We can't do it. But that's all based in reality. Like that, that is an aspect of the shuttle uh, fleet that never happened after Challenger. I think basically they mothballed the idea of launching from Vandenberg. Even more the point, apparently I did not realize, and maybe they did not, or I don't wonder if they knew this when they were making the series. It is, it is now a United States space force base. (laughs) Thanks. It is. It is. I mean, they still launch uh, SpaceX launches polar orbit missions. There are lots of polar orbit missions that launch from Vandenberg. It's a, it's still in use as a space launch facility. And I think SpaceX might even be using something that was going to be used for the shuttle at one point, but they just ended up not doing the, the, the shuttle uh, launch at all. So that, that's another like interesting touch, the military intertwined. Obviously this is going to be a theme of this whole season, um, you can tell that from this episode and from the promos that sort of like the civilian exploration of space and the military use of space yeah. during the Cold War, they're going to go together. Yeah, they're, and they're but I mean, there's a there's a there's a, a line they're writing here, right? Like clearly they work together and their colleagues um, seems like there are also potentially some tensions at foot, but it's going to be interesting to see how that develops that they sort of spin out that story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are working together, right? It's a friendly relationship, but, you know, make no mistake that he's, you know, he's going to say no <laughs> to right. certain requests. He's not going to be like, yeah, we'll make it work. It's like, no, no, you're not. And he that's why he brings up Berlin. And like, I think what he says, too, is not only what happened in Berlin, but he says it hasn't gotten any better and maybe it's gotten worse. Right. So, like, 
you you without giving us any details, the idea here is that tensions are high mm-hmm. with the Soviet Union and the military is on edge. And in fact, as the solar storm happens later, we keep escalating the DEFCON. So, you know, this this is serious stuff. This is like um you know, hide the hide hide Reagan somewhere, and like it's it's a uh, danger. Like the a solar storm is enough to put the whole planet at the brink of nuclear war. So it's a it's a, a tense scene, even more so than uh, the actual eighties was in terms of tension. So they're really ratcheting that up as well, which is interesting. Um, mean new character. It's redheaded astronaut who's convinced <laughs> nobody likes him. Well, he's a little. I don't know. I can't tell if he's like needy, or not. <laughs> little needy, and and the, his I, fellow astronaut who and she she's like, look, you wouldn't be here if people didn't think you belonged here. So what's your problem? I, he's like, oh, I they want to. Margot hates me. Her. Yeah, I want to call her out by the way because that's uh, I recognize the actress immediately who's uh, Michaela Conlon, who was one of the regulars, uh, series regulars on Bones for many many years, hmm. and I like a show that I watched about half of, and I was like, oh, she's made it to. <laughs> She was like a scientist or like forensic she's scientist. In space. Now she's in space. Great, good for her. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. So she's like, yeah, go in there. Give him, give him, give yeah. him your best. Go in there. And it's of course it's Ed who is now basically uh, flying a desk, and he is in charge of the astronauts. He has, he has got a Deke's old job. Yeah, he's got Deke's old job as the head of the astronaut office of the astronaut corps, and he's got a big golf in his office. He, yeah, he's got a little automatic golf putt return thing, and he's just doing a lot of golf. And he, behind him, there's an enormous board with pictures of astronauts mm-hmm. on it of all the assignments. Again, trying to the show is making the point here that space has gotten really complicated. There is a lot going on. This is not just a mission or two. There are people all over in different places in space and different assignments coming for all these people. And, uh, you know, basically the the redheaded astronaut gets exactly what he said, which is like, they're just going to tell me that, that I'll be ready, you know, when I'm ready and I'm not ready yet. And indeed, that's exactly what Ed tells him is uh, you'll be ready when you're ready, but you're yeah. not ready yet. And he's like, oh, he, he tries right. to push it a little bit. He has the scene where he puts his foot down on the ball when Ed puts it, which is yeah. like, wow, that is not <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe not your best move. And he thinks he's gotten one over for a second there until Ed once again tells him that I'd, nope. I'll, I'll let you know when you're ready. Yep. Not impressed at all with that so we'll see if he just doesn't like redheads we'll see if our redheaded astronaut comes back or not um meanwhile another another major character from season one gordo wow he's a he what i wrote down in my notes is he's a disaster so this is unsurprising uh that he's a disaster because why wouldn't he be uh but he he is a disaster uh, this is Michael Dorman, who is a great actor, and a- after watching him in Patriot um, and For All Mankind, it's like, he's so good at being a sad sack disaster. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. he's really he's, good at it, and he is the saddest uh, of sacks and the drunkest of sacks, as he tells to, stories about space to basically like... The Rotary Club. Yeah. Rotary Club. He's, he's turned the schlub yeah. up to 11 here. Uh, oh, and boy. you get... I mean, what I love about the... Even in a... Even in the brief shot, like when you first see the establishing shot where he's standing at the podium and he's he's holding like a glass of scotch and you're yeah. like, well, already bad. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And they're maybe, like fill, 
Fill it up. Fill it up. Yep. Fill it up. Uh, Again. He's he's got a mustache. Always an ill-advised choice. Perhaps. Oh yeah. In the and, 80s. The, and, the, and the shaggy hair. It's a very early '80s, right? Where it's yeah. it's it. Yeah. The contrast with the '60s, where it's like everybody's got short hair and they're shaved and they're and they're like super sleek. And now he's shaggy and he's got a beer gut. And he is he, he he has a tendency to stare off into the middle distance during the middle of a story uncomfortably and then return to his story. Plus the implication that given what happened last season with him on the moon, he also it's also that it's a lie and he's a hero for a thing that that right. he actually shouldn't be a hero for because he lost it on the moon and, and, and they covered it up for him. And uh so and and, you and can Tracy tell, has left him, and he's a disaster. He's a disaster. You can, you can tell even in this opening scene that he's trotted out, and he gives the same yeah. speech right every yep. time he is invited to talk. And I gather, which is real, still, astronauts yeah, did, sure. always did that, but it's so it's PR, you know, yeah, but so it's, sad. It is, and it's like I mean, I think you you kind of gather he's still technically employed, you know, but probably hasn't been doing much, and he's just trotted out to tell you know basically if not to raise money then to like raise like the pr right like get everybody keep everybody invested and and keep everybody excited about the space race and it's about all he's good for and he's not even terribly good at that yeah yeah it's uh it's there's gonna be more more to come with him but he's already a disaster um i just want a small note the nasa administrator who we meet uh has an electric car yes i love that Part of the idea here that they the technology has really advanced uh, early because of all of the money that has been going into the the space program. Um, I I love the interchange with him and Ed where he, yeah, it's like how fast does it go and he's like you know it goes sixty five speed limit sixty five yeah <laughs> and it's like for some of us uh, and then zooms off in his gas guzzling car because <laughs> you can tell Ed Baldwin is not an electric car kind of guy. No. Uh, and it's a funny moment but it's also you know like what electric car in 1982 but that's yep. that's where we are um the so the the bar from season mm-hmm. one makes its first appearance it's now more of a bar restaurant run yeah. by karen so ed's wife karen uh is is running the bar they now have an adopted daughter kelly uh, because remember, their their child died in season yes. one. It was very bad. <laughs> uh, but they have an adopted daughter, and she works at the at the bar restaurant. And they have a they have a meal where Ed comes and doesn't want Parmesan cheese or something. <laughs> real it's, Parmesan cheese. He wants he wants the stuff out of he the wants can. the powder. He yeah. wants the powder Parmesan, and they're like, "No, we create the actual Parmesan cheese." And they're like, "I don't know about this," which I just thought was a funny touch. Of, like, I, I that's was, very much old. He's old bit. school, fifties, six upbringing. Wants the packaged, yeah. Uh, very dry. excited about the you know spaghetti night at the at the bar. Yeah, I also think they've nice nice job of loosening up. Like Karen, I think a lot of what we saw of her in season one was dealing with some you know elements of repression, right? Like. A lot of her time was spent being stoic because yes. she was the astronaut's wife and she had to present this face to the world. And she did her and, th- her therapy right. with Molly's husband yep. where like they would just talk and smoke pot and yep. she would kind of like progress as a human being, which is was, was one of my favorite things in season one. Yes, actually. that was fantastic. The relationship between the two of them were great. And, and I think it shows, you know, she has loosened up a lot in this season. You know, she's running, she's, you know, got a business 
like she's she's got pursuits on her own and she seems very comfortable in that world and i i really i like that a lot because i think her character did grow and and deepen as the care as the first season went on and i like the that there's some end results of that in this season we see the effect that it had on her and i think it probably helps you know obviously that that ed is no longer going to space all the time and is instead a a desk worker yeah now i don't know if i mentioned this in uh our incomparable episode about season one but i'll, I'll mention it here just because there's a scene where she goes out back and she is uh like looking up at the stars and smoking i'll just mention something that's a little pet theory of mine which is that Chantel van santon is a non-smoker who has no and even though she's an actress she has no idea what she's doing <laughs> and, and and so this was the case in season one where i'm like she has she's like they're when they force her to smoke on camera she's really bad at it like she doesn't know how to hold the cigarette and she doesn't she doesn't know anything about it. so i'm now on on edge for it so season two she goes back and i'm like oh are they gonna make her do this this poor woman are they gonna make her do this and i i can't guarantee that this is true but it sure looks to me like they actually cgi'd in the smoke when she exhaled <laughs> like i think i think that they've given up entirely on on her and you know sh- sh- you know good for her if the truth is that she's a non-smoker who doesn't want to do screen smoking but i i have to laugh because she's she's also really bad at all of the movements mm-hmm. and things that you come so they why they make her do it again i don't know maybe they're they're mean to her but anyway that's a little minor footnote that it made me laugh you can watch for it join us dear listeners and watching to see how bad the, uh, the chantelle van Sant screen smoking is if they, if they make her do it again in future episodes um Johnny Carson makes an appearance. So the TV at the bar, they've kept the black and white TV that has been there since the beginning. I guess out of a good luck charm and because Ed refuses to let Ed them. Refu- Ed, Ed, he's old school. He, he is old. Want his cheese. He, he wants you know, his old they TV. Ma- they make him in color now. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, I like I like the, too, and they got a black and white TV in yeah, the bar. For, uh, a guy whose job is all about space and pushing the envelope. He is very conservative in a lot of yeah. his <laughs> viewpoints, and I, th- and I like that because I think that's really accurate about yeah. uh, astronauts, and especially the '60s astronauts, right? Like that they were very the original astronaut groups yeah. were all men, and they were super conservative, military, like buttoned down, like very traditional. And so to see Ed put in these areas where, you know, he's going to he's going to be that guy. He's going to be that guy. I, and, I will say in the yeah. interim between these two seasons, I watched the National Geographic adaptation of The Right Stuff, mm-hmm. which was very strange because many of these characters, the fictional characters in For All Mankind are based on real characters. And so seeing some of those viewpoints for things that happened in very different ways, like the whole, um, the real version of Gordo and his wife, whose name I've, I've forgotten, like, you know, very different. I mean, in some ways similar like progressions, but obviously there was no, there were no female astronauts or anything like that. So um, you, you watching them in, in a different sort of uh, viewpoint, but something that set, was set in sort of the same time was a fascinating experience. <laughs> Um, let's see what else, what else happens? So so Tracy's on Johnny Carson. She has apparently parlayed her, her astronaut status into some celebrity. Yeah. Into some celebrity. And we learn as she is giving her interview, uh, that she has gotten, just gotten remarried in Vegas to someone apparently fairly well known. I don't remember if they say what, 
who yeah, he th- is. I think they say the name, but I, it doesn't register for me. And maybe that's just either doesn't matter or they're going right. to save that. I think for the, a the implication episode. is that he is a he and he is also a celebrity uh, of some variety that we don't know yet. But yes, uh, and then Ed sort of twigs to the fact that. You know, this is not, you know, he's worried that, that Gordo and the kids, Gordo's and Tracy's kids are going to be learning about this basically on television, on national television, instead of hearing it from her. Yeah, yeah. So this this is going to, uh, it, it's, it leaves us with lots of questions in this episode about Tracy. Like, is she still doing her job as an astronaut? She seems mm-hmm. to be more of a celebrity. Is that part of her job as an astronaut uh, to have... Like, she's clearly a celebrity, so has that affected anything? Obviously, it's a big issue because we have seen how sad Gordo is to see that she's, meanwhile, gotten remarried and has announced it on television. And, uh, you know, Gordo is watching it. He has a color TV, by the way, Uh, and is sad because he's sad because Michael Dorman is sad. He's a sad man. He's a sad astronaut. Sad astronaut. Um, yeah, I, I I thought the and we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but I thought the Johnny Carson thing was was well done. It's not perfect, and again, the voice is not quite as iconic to me as someone who grew up only with part of that. But I I definitely spent some time being like, wow, this is this is pretty good. I I I liked that they were willing to go there because they felt like it was something that would have been it's the link-ins to our existing universe right they could have had it be some other random late night host a fictional character that they created but having you know johnny carson in there provides that touchstone to our own universe and reminding us that like these our worlds are close right like they diverge but there are a lot of things that are still the same uh and so it's it's kind of fun to get that aspect of it that kind of keeps it tethered to the historical fiction aspect as opposed to just going like way off into a totally divergent reality. Yeah. I swear I'll stop saying this after this episode, but Ron Moore told me (laughs) (laughs) that like, I mean, I asked, I said, surely this is a challenge to you to want the world to be recognizable to us as viewers while also recognizing that it's diverging from us. And, you know, he said, yes, it's something that we really try to keep in mind. We want to anchor people with familiar things while also reminding them it's not the same. And that right. it's a it's a fun I I, I want to say that it's a hard job, but I don't think it is. I think it's a fun job where they get to decide what parts are we going to pick that are the yeah. same and what parts are we going to pick that are different. So, like I assume this season we're going to find out who succeeds Reagan and we don't even know if Bush is his vice president, but like is it going to be Bush or is it going to be someone else? Is it going to be, you know, someone else who was running for president in 84 it sounds like in 80 he lost in the in the in the little voiceover to mondale uh who ran against him in 84 so what happens in 84 that's going to come up i would i would think pretty soon and that that, another challenge for them right like they could have alternate presidents we had kennedy as president after nixon in season one uh but they also went back to reagan because it's the 80s it's the reagan era how could you not have Reagan there as a milestone, and also it's good for the Cold War story right, to exactly. have Reagan. It plays there. up the the fear and like the um you know just the the atmosphere of everything where you are worried about the buildup, right? Like it would not have worked as well with someone like Kennedy. I think it would have it would not have quite rung as true as this sort of militarization right. and and sort of red scare aspect. So like. It, next season when they go to the 90s or even even later this season if they if they show us the world after 1984 um 
they have just decisions to make, right? Because you could you could say, and I think this is how it would really work, like the further you go away from any divergence, the world would be completely different. You'd have politicians and presidents you never heard of, but you might also have some people who were familiar. And I think that's the challenge as a storyteller is that they want to they wanna have some familiarity in there. So I imagine that we're going to continue to see the people who are familiar and the people who are unfamiliar mm-hmm. as, and they're going to walk that line. And it's like little Easter yeah, eggs in most yeah. cases, but, but uh, you've got to walk that tight line. rope, as you said, because it's curious to know, like, why do these things change, but these things not change? And, you know, you don't have to get into the details of it, but it's interesting. To, it's certainly interesting to think about, right? right? Like, why did Reagan get elected early, but... Johnny Carson is still the super popular talk shows, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's just random stuff. But I, I, I think it's it's entertaining to speculate, uh, you know, especially with the the choices that we saw in the montage up front and trying to determine, are these things that will continue to come into play or are they grace notes? You know, I mean, there's something like Charles and Camilla. I don't really see how that comes into play, but who knows? Maybe John Lennon being alive. Maybe there's an implication there. And, you know, the obviously the geopolitical leaders who survived or did not like that obviously has a, a part to play as well. So I'm kind of curious to see how they weave that. All right. Um, we have come to the big dramatic moment, which is there is a uh, solar storm, which I think there actually was a solar storm in 81, 82. So there's some, I, I think some inspiration being taken here. Um, it's going to mess everything up. It's safe for us on Earth, but of course we've got a lot of people who are in, on the moon, and uh, it's going to be bad for some satellites and stuff like that. And it's not it's not great for everybody else. The DEFCON level is escalated, um, and what we get is all of those nice astronauts who were singing Bob Marley out on the surface for the sunrise are now in danger. They need to get back into Yorktown or not Yorktown, Jamestown, and. Uh, and into the the bunker, into the shelter, basically, to put enough stuff between them and the uh, particles, the, the radiation that's going to come from the, the solar storm. And that gives us a ticking clock and there's a lot of action. But most of it is that they get back and it's fine. But Molly Cobb, our friend, the, uh, the tough as nails astronaut from season one, uh, Sonia Walger, who uh, not, it's not Penny's boat is what I'm saying. <laughs> is uh she's like climbing a mountain looking like geological stuff um and so she's got to come down off of the the cliff side and that takes some time and meanwhile wubbo our friend wubbo everybody loves wubbo who we've never heard of and has a dumb name sorry to all the wubbos listening it's a dumb name uh wubbo's overturned his uh moon rover and Molly sees this, and she's supposed to hunker down. She can't get back to Jamestown, so she's going to hunker down in a lava tube, and 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 avoid, avoid radiation. The, the, the radiation, yeah. I, and everybody's I, wearing uh, a radiation uh, yeah, badge. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, but she sees she sees that Wubbo is overturned, and it's that moment where uh, she knows she's going to get bombarded by radiation if she goes and tries to rescue him. But it's Molly Cobb. Of course, she's going to go, and she sets off across the surface and there's a really great effect that i have no I idea if it is real or not and yeah, i don't I care wondered about... which is the boiling of the regolith that the radiation is making the regolith on the lunar surface kind of uh, uh it look like it's raining basically but like upside down almost upside, like yeah. it's yeah it's so it's it's striking it really is a great effect because it it, it makes you sort of appear going like what is going on yeah. But it looks cool, and I had wondered about. 
I assume they did some research uh, yeah. in terms I don't of think how that would look. But I don't think it's an effect that even if it does exist would be so powerful like that. Yeah. that it would wipe out footprints and things because the footprints stay on the moon forever, right? Like they 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 don't they don't. There's I no don't, wind, right? They there's get no, etched. There's no they, air, and yeah. I think they do get etched by solar particles, but I don't think mm. it, it it like comes like an et- like you're shaking an etch a sketch, right? Like, I don't think that happens, but it's super dramatic and scary and menacing because you mm-hmm. you can see what otherwise is invisible, which is the radiation that she's going through as she you know runs across the surface and the low in the lunar gravity to rescue him and pull him back to the the lava tube but at that point it's very clear his badge is red he's gotten an enormous dose of radiation she left her badge in the cave so it's green uh, but we know she got an enormous you know fatal very dangerous amount of radiation you know i struggled with this decision because i understand why the character did it but it seemed so uh foolhardy i guess was my point because she first of all you know wobo is is he's you know he's down right he could be dead already for all we know and we don't and and molly decides she's gonna risk it even though he is going to die one way or another. If not die, he is well, his life is going to be dramatically shortened by the fact that right. he, he, the amount of radiation he's going to take, even in the time it takes her to get there and back, is bad. And I understand again. I understand why this character, who is a uh, you know devil may care, uh, I'm going to save somebody. Uh, makes that decision but i sat there thinking like you just condemned both of yourselves to die <laughs> and that was the that was the the hard part to watch so i i understand it but it, it left me a little frustrated but i, I it's so it's so it's so how would you make that decision it's, right would it, you it condemn is, that person yeah you're basically saying i can i can stay here and not risk myself as much and that guy's gonna die or I could go rescue him, in which case he's still going to be severely injured, and I'm going to be severely injured. Right. But he's probably not going to die if he isn't dead already. He's probably not going to die. He'll just, it'll be bad for him. Yeah. But it'll also be bad for me. It's a very difficult decision to make. And I think the argument there is that a heroic, trained astronaut yeah. who's like, I'm going to not leave people behind, and I'm watching a guy who no one else can help, and I can help him. So I have to go help him and make that sacrifice. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, I, you know, it's a interesting to be in her place at that moment and say, what do you do here? But it's Molly Cobb, right? Right. We we know she's going to, we know she's going to go out there. Right. And, and, and I, I, I thought they, it still makes a great moment of drama. The fact that she takes off her dosimeter is, uh, again, consistent with Uh who she is because she knows that if they find out that she has been you know, fatally or, or seriously irradiated that she's, she's done. Right. So she is stacking the deck in her Mm -hmm. favor. Uh, I wondered about, and I just don't know enough about the science of this. Like she's not like, I assume, you know, a lot of times if you get exposed to radiation, you have to get like decontaminated. I wondered about how much is she she radioactive now? I assume not, but, uh, still I was like, man, because like the whole issue, right. That we, that they talk about is, People on Earth are fine because the atmosphere filters out the radiation, but there's no atmosphere on the moon uh, or in orbit or any like that. So you have to get someplace shielded. Um, and yeah, I think not the issue sure isn't that they're that, radioactive. I think the issue is that the particles yeah, hit your DNA right, and, and you're, you're, give you you're, radiation damage, right? Right. Like you're, Chernobyl. you're screwed. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So it's invisible. It's, it's, it's undetectable because they don't know 
once it's done the damage, right? Like it's just a ticking clock at that point. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, it is a, it's a hard moment to watch, right? Cause like, even though it is a heroic moment, you're sitting there going like, you can't dodge the, radi- <laughs> the radiation. You, you are, you are condemning yourself to it at the very least, you know, uh, a life of serious health problems. Right. But you know, that's, that's what, uh, same I, thing with somebody running back into the line of fire. to Yeah. Save that's, a that, comrade, that's what I was right? going to say is you're running back into the line of fire and you may get shot and you may get killed or you may get wounded, but you're, you got to pull that guy who's right. out there back right. in. And I think that's exactly what, what is going on here with Molly. Yeah. I feel like at least you can dodge potentially like avoid bullets. You can't avoid yeah. radiation. You're, no. just, so, you're just done. <laughs> yeah. But you could argue it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a chance, right? It's like true. you don't know it's a exactly. Chance. Yeah. You're taking a chance. You're telling and me there's a chance. So, so this episode that ends episode one. And so we've got our, uh, we've got our things that are going on here. We've got what, you know, Margo is trying to deal with a lot of stuff and the military, there's escalating tension with the Soviets. There's some, there's a redheaded astronaut who wants a job. Uh, you know, Karen it is uh has a new life where she's managing this uh the bar and the restaurant with her adopted daughter tracy is famous uh gordo is sad gordo is super sad and now molly is potentially uh has a terrible dose of radiation here what's going to happen with her and you know the the story engine has revved up but don't forget everybody there's some really good vibes at the beginning yeah <laughs> every little thing is going to be all right yeah, that's that seems Just like a good focus on the good, good vibes there. Good good way to way to start, but a lot of uh, dramatic things happening for the rest of the uh, rest of the the, the season. Uh, I was curious. So that, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I, I want to know your feeling on the so the solar storm in this case is a involves a coronal mass ejection, and the thing that they discuss that's unusual in this case is that it moves much faster than the ones they've seen so far, right? Because normally they talk about, and in the little reading I did about it, like it takes several days oftentimes yeah. between seeing it. And some of that is clearly done for dramatic purposes, uh, you know, in for order sure. to shrink the, the timeline. Like if we, if it took days, you know, there would be no tension. It would be like, yeah. oh, you got you got three, four days to drive <laughs> to get inside. Yeah, one you know, take just time. walk back yeah, to exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I was kind of curious to know whether this was going to be a like essentially just a freak accident that then triggers, you know, implications because of what happened or whether they were trying to like uh, suggest that something weird is happening with the sun. I don't know. Like maybe I don't think that so. would. Yeah. I, don't think I, so. I wondered. I wondered I if it was a setup for something coming later in the season, where it's like, well, "Oh no, the sun isn't really being trouble." It depends how hard sci-fi you want to go. <laughs> well, I, I was just going to say, did did the the Soviets landing on the moon somehow break the sun? Because probably not. Is is my is my feeling right, there? Right. But I I do think that what they're trying to do is say solar weather matters more once you go to right. the moon and live there. Yeah, and you've got people in space. And when you go to Mars, similarly, solar weather really matters. And I do think that, or at least I suspect that they're fudging a little bit in terms of the timeline uh, in order to get it to be more dramatic. But, uh, you know, solar storms are a real hazard to astronauts. So um, that part, that part is right. But I think, I think that's what it is. They may, but you're right. They may be setting up in this season or a future season, even just the menace of, of uh, solar storms. And that, that, that is a a lurking threat. And the, and the implication, obviously that the, the storms knock out a bunch of the military satellites, which causes the military to decide we have to go to DEFCON three, because with the satellites down, 
the Russians and it point what was fascinating about it was they're like somewhat concerned when they're like, well, our satellites over Russia will go down. That's pretty bad. And then someone points out, but the Soviet satellites over the US will go down. And they're like, that's worse <laughs> because now we the, the Russians, we think it's the gamesmanship, right? It's like, yeah, we don't know what's going on in, in Moscow, right? And that was sort of the overriding uh, atmosphere in that era of the Cold War it was like, we don't really understand the decisions that they make or what no. will cause them to do something. We are viewing them as kind of irrational and, actors. And, and we've never heard from them other than the one guy that right. that Ed takes hostage, right, for a while. We never really hear from them. There's that message that gets sent to him about his kid dying that yep. was not that they were withholding from him. We get in the in the timeline here, we get a Brezhnev, you know, bellicose Brezhnev statement or 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 Chinyenko or in drop off statement, right? But basically we the Soviets are they're a black we're, box. We're yeah. not hearing their story. They haven't done that episode that I wanted to see. And so and and so instead they're a looming threat we don't understand essentially. Right, right. And I like that because that is very I just finished reading a whole book about the the development of the Cold War after World War II and the CIA. And it is very consistent with that, which is this whole idea that like we have to be ready in case the Russians are worried because they can't see whether we're going to first strike. So we have to be ready and prepared for them to first strike in case they think yeah. we are going to you're like, like that kind of gamesmanship stuff. Yeah, mutually is, assured destruction. Cause the, right. the, the, the theory it's, it's was tense. that if, if you could destroy them before they can launch missiles to destroy you, then you can win a nuclear war. And so the whole right. point is you make it so that if they try to kill you, you will also kill them, and yep. so they won't try to kill you. That's the whole that's it. premise. That's, uh, that's it. the yeah. strategy. Yeah. Uh, and that's the world of uh, the 80s and for all mankind. So uh, any final thoughts about this episode? You, you excited for the season? Yeah, no, I, I'm super excited. I think what I enjoy about this show a lot is that even though it has elements of the slow burn it does have great moments of dramatic tension like we see at the end of this episode. And it does manage to walk that line, which is kind of kind of fun uh, in terms of doing the like, let's talk about the historical and like scientific slash social and political aspect of what's happening on as well as like having this whole like, well, now we have moon bases, right? Like, And, and then this is a different reality than the one that we've experienced. So it... it it manages to do a lot of things, which I always enjoy. And at the same time, I want to say, like, actually does a great job with its characters. And you know, there should be no surprise there, I think, from a, a Ron Moore show that the right. characters are paramount. And yeah. I think that was a somewhat of a struggle in the earliest parts of season one was sort of sussing out who are these characters? What are what are they about? And now that we're kind of going into season two, I feel like I have a very clear picture in my head of all of these characters because of all the time that we spent with them. And that provides for some very compelling moments of character-based drama, like we just talked about with Molly, right? Like everything that we saw in season one and the way that she carries herself and the way she acts is entirely consistent with the decisions that she makes here. Uh, And we can still be like, oh, no, Molly, don't do that. Like, no, you're getting so much trouble. We know she's going to do it. So I, I think that was a lot of fun, and it felt like you know going back and sort of slipping on your uh, your comfortable pair of shoes. Even though I did have to frequently answer questions from my wife, who was like, "Who's that one again? Wait, who's that character?" Um, I was like, "Yeah, that's Tracy. She was married to Gordo." You know, uh-huh. like so. Uh, but I, I enjoyed it a lot. I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. Yep, me too. Uh, I'm very excited and excited to be talking about it with you. 
every week. So people come back here uh, on the day that it releases. I believe these episodes, as with everything on Apple TV, are releasing on Fridays at midnight Pacific. Mm. Which, good yeah. time. So basically, whatever that time is for you. And we'll try to have getting, our episodes up about that. Yeah, getting up at 3 a.m., watching the show. <laughs> sure. You got to do what you got to do. <laughs> Uh, so we will be here to talk you through it. Um, and uh, thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of the TV Podcast for All Mankind. Uh, I've been Jason Snell, and uh, he's been Dan Warren. Thanks, Dan. Don't sit down, you, Jason. <laughs>